and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Oddsmaker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're set to go against the spread on this week's NFL football and the final college football Army-Navy game as we go against the spread today. And with that, I want to welcome our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports into the show. And Victor, the first question I have to ask of you is we're going to get into, obviously, the college football playoff situation and a lot of other things. But how was your week overall last week? Okay, Mark, pretty good week. It looks like you had a good one, too, with that four-star best bet winner on Georgia. Of course, the outright dominating win over Auburn in the SEC championship game. And then right back on Sunday with that game of the month winner on the Seattle Seahawks, also outright against the Philadelphia Eagles. So it looks like a nice weekend for you. And, of course, I'm sure we're going to touch on the college football playoff rankings, not to mention some uh, big-name coaches down here in the Sunshine State. Yeah, there were some big-name coaches that have changed jobs down here in the Sunshine State. This is unbelievable. Kevin O'Neill, a contributor to our Playbook Football Preview Guide magazine, sent us a text earlier this week and uh, called out the fact that of all seven of the college football FBS teams in the state of Florida, there have all been coaching changes at each of the seven schools within the past year. That's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, strange to find all seven FBS schools changing jobs. Most recently, Willie Taggart coming from Oregon to Florida State to take over for Jimbo Fisher. And a little bit head-scratching, Victor, I would say, in the sense that Willie Taggart just signed a five-year contract a year ago with Oregon. So I don't know what's going on or what the circumstances were behind that, but he is a Florida guy, Willie Taggart. And I know they're pretty excited uh, up in Tallahassee to have him in his services right now. But this coaching uh, merry-go-round wheel continues to keep going on and on and on, as we know. Uh, We also had at Central Florida, Josh Heupel comes over, the offensive coordinator at Missouri, former quarterback, I believe at BYU. He comes over to run that football program. So all in all, I don't think we've seen this dust settle yet on these college football coaching changes. And you want to talk big names. Uh, you just mentioned Willie Taggart and Heupel, Mark Richt in Miami, Dan Mullen in Florida, Lane Kiffin at FAU, Butch Davis, even Charlie Strong at South Florida. So I would definitely say that the state of college coaches in the Sunshine State is extremely strong these days. One more thing I want to add is that, you know, in addition to Willie Taggart coming down from Oregon, to take the Seminoles football job. He's also bringing defensive coordinator Jim Levitt, and this is a big, big thing. He served as Taggart's defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Oregon this season. Of course, he's got extensive experience, and this was a guy that really, really improved Oregon's defense. They went from 119 last season to 58 this season. Not only that, but their passing down defense, 116 last year, 13th this season. So if you are a Seminole fan and uh, with that stagnant defense, the bringing of Jim Levitt down here is also a big move for uh, the Florida State Seminoles. A big, huge move, Jim Levitt is. Uh, you know, he was a reason. Uh, there was a reason Willie Taggart hired him. He's a defensive guru. And for Florida State to get back to the level that they were expected to be at this football season here, defense will be first and foremost a priority. But Willie Taggart coming to Florida State is a lot about him being a Florida guy, Victor. And he has his feet entrenched in the recruiting uh, uh, levels here in the state of Florida. So they're not going to really have to start anew. And that's really huge because you have to, can't compete with other coaches in the state of Florida unless you have your ties in place. And he does just that. So I think he'll end up being a good hire. Again, I'm just a little bit scratching my head about why Oregon would have hired him and then let him go unless it was a mutual decision, one or the other, nonetheless. But that remains to be seen. Also, Victor, the question I have to ask you is, did they get it right? The college football final four pairings this football season here. We're going to talk with Andy Isco a little bit more about the college football 
playoff format in what it is now and what Andy suggested it should be. And we have a lot to say about that. A lot of good points, I should say. But my, I'm going to ask you this question. The final four teams, did they get these final four teams right in your opinion? I suppose they did. I think for me, my takeaway is it sure would have been a great year to have an eight-team playoff make its debut. That is for sure. I know a lot of people will throw out the fact that despite not getting in the Buckeyes were one of those teams that finished top 10 in offense and in the defense. Uh, with that said, you know, I also pay attention a lot to the Jeff Sagarin rankings in which he, of course, incorporates strength of schedule into the mix. And his rankings are a little bit different than the uh, current uh, playoff rankings. He has Alabama number one, Clemson number two, Georgia number three, Ohio State four, Oklahoma Number five, looking in, Penn State six and Wisconsin seven. Again, uh, I don't know if there's a definitive number three and number four. You can make a case, again, for the Buckeyes, maybe Oklahoma not being there. But uh, the Sagarin rankings are also uh, kind of revealing when it comes to those uh, college football rankings. They are, and I know they take the Sagarin rankings. uh, They weigh those heavily into their decision-making as well. I have a feeling, though, the bottom line is they didn't want a two-loss football team in the Final Four. They opted for Alabama instead, and I guess their justification is that Alabama was ranked ahead of Ohio State each and every week all season long, and there was no justification or reason to drop them behind Ohio State. My put a gun to my head, I would say I think Ohio State should have been here instead of Alabama simply from the standpoint that uh, the Buckeyes did play and win a conference championship game. Alabama did not even participate in a conference championship game. And I think that should be a prerequisite that you have to be a player in the conference championship games to be eligible to make the college football conference playoffs. Uh, Ohio State was not last year. And you saw what happened to Ohio State, who did not win the conference championship, did not play in the conference championship. And what happened to them? They got destroyed by Clemson. And I wonder whether or not being destroyed by Clemson had any uh, part in that decision-making process as well. But uh, I'm just not comfortable with Alabama uh, avoiding a Southeast Conference championship game then moving up after having not played. Ohio State played and defeated an undefeated Wisconsin football team. So uh, we're going to argue about this till the cows come home. But the bottom line is... Uh, it, it sort of does pass the eye test. You got, uh, you know, no two lost teams in here. Alabama having been here in every year, so it will be a good college football playoffs. There's no doubt about it. But I agree with you, Victor. I think this has to expand to eight teams. And Andy is going to say a little bit more. He thinks it should go even to more than that. Uh, the bottom line. One interesting note here, though. I took a look at uh, some of the coaches that voted and the way they voted uh, for these final four things. And uh, the wild guy, Mike Leach. From Washington State, his top four teams were number one, Georgia, number two, Oklahoma, number three, Southern Cal from the Pac-12 conference, mm-hmm. number four, number four, Ohio State, five, Clemson and six, Oklahoma. He didn't have Alabama, I think, ninth. So obviously wow. dislike between Mike Leach and Alabama. Brian Harson, the head coach from Boise State, uh, he had one Clemson, two Oklahoma, three Georgia, and number four, Central Florida. And I applaud him for for bringing Central Florida to the forefront here. This football team has beat everybody they played. They put up in front of them. Exciting brand of football they play. And he went so far as the only coach to nominate Central Florida to be in the playoffs, of which I think they should be. Maybe not the final four. If it were an eight or 16-team playoffs, they certainly should be there. And he had Alabama number eight. And one interesting note here in closing on this coaching or on this uh, subject of the college football teams in the Final Four, mark this down for next year. D.J. Durkin, the head coach at Maryland, uh, he had Ohio State number five. He did not have them in the top four, and you're supposed to vote for your brethren, uh, the teams that are in your own conference. And you can rest assured that Urban Meyer, if I caught it, Urban Meyer caught it as well. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it had something to do with the fact that Ohio State beat Maryland 62 to 14 and outyarded them 584 to 66 this year. Uh, maybe that was a distaste in Durkin's mouth for not voting for Ohio State. But remember that next year, if they're on the same schedule, Urban Meyer will. When Ohio State plays Maryland, it could be another smash job come next football season here. Before before Victor, we go over to the uh, NFL side of things. Uh, one other quick note here about uh, the Supreme Court meeting for the PASPA law, the federal. Uh, gaming uh, 
law to enable legalized sports gambling in the United States. They met Monday and it was really, really a very favorable meeting, if you will, for those who are looking to repeal this PASPA Act. And uh, I think the bottom line coming out of it all is that uh, uh, the lawyers did a terrific job. You know, They recognized that it is a violation of the Tenth Amendment, and that violation is called commandeering. And what they're basically saying here is that uh, while the PASPA Act as it is right now is not a law that bars gambling, instead it's, uh, it says that the states cannot authorize by law such gambling. Uh, so what we're having here is an issue of whether or not the federal government can tell, the gover- can tell each state whether or not they're allowed to do what they want to do with the gambling law. And the judges, it seems to be that of the nine judges, the word I'm hearing is four or five of them feel it's a violation of the Tenth Amendment, which is very, very favorable as far as their final recommendation is going to be. I guess we're going to hear about this about June, as what I'm projecting or what I'm hearing about June of 2018. They're going to render their final decision here. But right now, Victor, it's looking pretty favorable as far as repealing this PASPA Act. I agree. The Monday meeting went pretty good. Of course, it would probably help if you had some sort of a degree in actual constitutional law or better to read the interpretation of what the Supreme Court justices were indeed saying. But at the end of the day, Monday was kind of similar to what we do. It was about scorekeeping without an actual scoreboard. It was basically about uh, who won and who lost. And you mentioned it. uh, Yes, there are underlying constitutional issues and what the court finds when it comes to federalism versus states' rights. Very, very similar to the medical marijuana issue that's uh, been a hot issue here for 10 or 15 years. But uh, more people were interested in what the hour of arguments meant for New Jersey's underlying chances of winning or losing. And it looks pretty good. Uh, I know this is something that I wouldn't want to uh, actually bet money on. But if you want to, there's an over-under line out there from what I hear as to how many actual Supreme Court justices will be siding with the state of New Jersey. That line is currently at five and a half. And I might lean toward the over, thinking that six of the nine justices will indeed side with the state of New Jersey in regards to this issue. Well, even if five of the nine do, it's all that it takes, Victor, right. just the majority, yep. which would be which would be absolutely terrific. And, you know, I think the key point in this whole thing is uh, they're not going to be voting whether or not gambling should be legalized. They're voting whether or not commandeering is involved in this in, in this whole issue here of a violation of that Tenth Amendment. doesn't matter whether it's gambling, marijuana laws, prostitution, whatever you want to call it. They're not looking at that issue. They're looking at whether or not they're violating a federal law here. And uh, it looks, for all intents and purposes, highly favorable that we may see this PASPA Act repealed and overturned, which would be terrific, uh, obviously, for everybody in our industry. So thumbs up to the what we're hearing right now, and uh, we, we just hope that uh, you're right on your over five and a half votes. Uh, <laughs> that, that would be terrific. <laughs> you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. Victor, with that, let's hop over quickly to the National Football League side of things where a little quick overview here, uh, as I like to do each and every week, the playoff picture as it exists today. I'll run by the teams that would be in the playoffs, the number one seeds. Uh, right now would be Pittsburgh out of the AFC, the Minnesota Vikings out of the NFC, number two, New England and Philadelphia. Number three, Tennessee again in the L.A. Rams. Two surprise teams, number three seeds at the playoffs started this week, followed by number four, Kansas City and New Orleans. Number five, Jacksonville, Seattle. Number six, Baltimore and Carolina, which means the guys on the outside looking in would be the Chargers, the Bills, and Oakland on the AFC side of things, Atlanta, Detroit, and Green Bay on the NFC side of things. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty time of the National Football League. And, uh, Victor, correct me if I'm wrong, but last week it seemed like for the first time in a long, long time that the favorites did not dominate in the National Football League last week. Right. Uh, they stopped the bleeding a little bit. Favorites went 7-9 and nine ATS overall last week. It was the first winning week for underdogs overall since way back in week seven. So we're basically talking, what, one, two, six weeks in a row in which favorites have brought home the bacon in the NFL. Again, the bleeding was stopped a little bit. On the season in our database, I'm showing favorites at 227, 210, and 16. And uh, what I've gleaned from our database in regards to the current division leaders is a little bit surprising 
Uh, first off, my take on the Tennessee Titans, you mentioned number three seed right now in the AFC. And this is for a team that has not even scored more points than they've allowed this season. Tennessee has scored 266. They've allowed 282. And yet they would be the number three seed in the AFC conference. But let me talk about your definitive division leaders. There's, yes, there's a th- uh, two-way tie in the AFC South. And yes, there's a three-way tie in the AFC West. But the other big six teams, the teams that are definitively winning their division, in addition to, of course, scoring a sparkling, went 58 and 14 straight up on the season. They've done very, very well against the spread. 67%, 48 eight, uh, wins, 24 losses against the spread for the big six of New England. Pittsburgh, and then in the NFC, Philadelphia, Minnesota, New Orleans, and the L.A. Rams. And in a nutshell, this is the reason that uh, it's been such a great year for favorites. Not only are these teams winning games, but they've been dominating from an ATS perspective, covering spreads of a touchdown or more, of 10 or more, and even in New England's case, a couple of 14-point spreads in which they have been covering so it's been a great year for the division leaders, not only from a straight-up perspective, but also against the spread. Yes, it has. Uh, these Big time for the division leaders and their, their assault, if you will, not only uh, leading uh, the division and marching under the playoffs, but also beating the point spread. So we'll see whether or not that can stand up and withhold. I guess it goes hand-in-hand hand with if you win football games, you cover spreads, and those teams are winning football games. We'll see whether or not they can continue to cover the spread from here on out, especially with the pressure being squarely on them as division leaders. One quick note in closing here before we wrap up this opening segment here, our good friend Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado from Dallas, Texas, nominates for his chip play of the week. This is the NFL team that has the biggest chip on their shoulder this week. He nominates the Philadelphia Eagles this week, and I concur wholeheartedly with Philadelphia being that particular play. They bring much the better rush defense, a bigger edge in rushing in this football game to the Eagles, who lost last week in Seattle. Now this will be a battle for NFC supremacy when they take on the Rams this week. Steve nominates Philadelphia as this week's NFL chip play of the week. We'll put them down the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm in total concurrence with that play as well. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to pop over to our college football game of the week. There's only one college football game on tap this week, it being the final week of the regular season. It's Army versus Navy. We're going to tear that game apart with you when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Hey, sports fans, football season is here, and it's time to get in on the action. MyBookie.ag is an industry-leading website that offers odds and action on your favorite games. Take advantage of the MyBookie specials before they're gone. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or visit us online at mybookie.ag to open an account. Pull out your smartphone to sign up with our user-friendly mobile site for on-the-go action. What are you waiting for? Come join mybookie.ag today. Call toll-free at 844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Only the biggest, only the best, only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. Have your morning coffee with Mark Lawrence each day when you join his all-new Coffee Club. Delivered in your email box the very first thing every morning, Mark shares with you his first take on the daily sports scene, ranging from top situational plays to handicapping tips and commentary from fellow Coffee Club members. It's a quick must-read for the serious sports fan. Join the Coffee Club today at playbook.com and have your morning coffee with Mark each and every day. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King. We're going against the spread in this week's college and pro football cards. And it's time for our college football game of the week, the annual season-ending game of the season, when Army battles Navy in a clear rivalry matchup, a classic matchup, if you will. Victor, your take on the Black Knights and the midshipmen in this football game. Well, you know, we talk about this game every season, and if you are like me, when the over-under line for this game comes out, you immediately run to your sportsbook betting window or your online sportsbook, and you bet on the under. I did it at the opening line of 51, and 
Lo and behold, it is no surprise the over-under line has come down a full four to five points. The last time I checked when we record the podcast here on Wednesday morning, it was already down to 46 and a half. I don't know how much value we have on the under at a line that low, but we will say this. Each of the last 11 meetings in this series have gone under the total. Zero overs, 11 unders in the last 11 years. Average line, 51.3. Average total points, 36.5. The average Army-Navy game has gone under by 14.8 points. Again, I mentioned that pretty low line of 46.5. I will say this, that was the line for last year's game as well. And the last five scores in this series, 21 to 17 last year, identical 21 to 17 two years ago, 17 to 10, 34 to 7, 17 to 3. So there's probably still a little bit of value at 46 and a half, but you might be uh, chewing your nails a little bit. And this could be the most, what they call, time efficient game of the season in college football. If you think college football games, can take too long to play. That likely will not be the case here. You know, forget about the teams going up-tempo and getting involved in high-scoring affairs. When these two teams get together, it's all about option offenses that keep the clock moving. In fact, we are talking the number one and number two rushing offenses in the country. Of course, the other military team, Air Force, not far behind at number four. We got 368 yards per game on the ground for Army, 347.5 for Navy. Both teams have actually decent rush defenses as well, ranked in the top uh, 50 in rush defenses, which could also help slow things down as well. But uh, again, we play this game under every year. This year will be no different. Of course, the Commander-in-Chief's trophy is actually on the line in this game, that's the first time since 2012 that the winner of the Army-Navy game will be awarded the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy, uh, usually awarded to the winner of the three-way regular season battle between Air Force, Army, and Navy. And one more interesting side note, if you think you need to throw the football in order to win a game, think again. Army's had three games this season in which it did not record a single completion in the passing game. Yeah. And they went 3-0 and in those games as well. And one of those games against Air Force, in fact, Army didn't even attempt to pass. Last <laughs> year against Navy, they completed two of four passes for 35 yards. And for what it's worth, Navy also was 1-0 in games without a completion this season, uh, a 43-40 win against SMU. You know which way we go. We do it every year. We're hoping for the 12th year in a row that Army-Navy again goes under the total. Victor goes under the total once again. Army-Navy running the football, pounding it at one another, shortening the clock, looking for a low-scoring football game, as we've seen many, many times in the past, under the total in the football game. Coming into this football contest here, we've got an Army football team that, uh, under Jeff Monken, who was hired four years ago, what a great job that he's done with this football program here. The first two years... Army was just 6-14 and 14 the first two years under Monk, and it didn't look like much improvement was happening. But the last two years, a complete reversal has been in order for Army. 16-8, and eight, straight up the last two football seasons here. They come uh, last year, they won eight football games. The last time the Army's won 10 games in a season, you got to go back to 1996. A win here and a win in a bowl game will get them to that level again, going all the way back to 1996. So you know that they're coming to play to win this football game, not only for that reason, but also, as Victor mentioned, to win the Commander-in-Chief trophy here. It's been a long, long time for drinks of water for them for that Commander-in-Chief trophy as well. Army's done a great job where it counts on the field this year statistically on the field where they've outyarded nine of their 11 opponents this football season here. So those eight wins is not phony by any stretch of the imagination, sense of the imagination here. On the flip side, this is a Navy football program that's struggling as we speak coming into the football game where they've been outyarded six over the last seven football games. That's rather uncharacteristic for this football team, but they're not hitting on all cylinders as we speak. In fact, they've lost five over the last six football games. When Army does come into this series, though, in this matchup with uh, with Army, when Navy does, I should say, they've gone nine and three to the spread when they're coming in off back to back losses. They're also eight three and one to the spread when they have revenge against Army. Army beat them last year, twenty one 
to 17 a six-point dog. So there's a little bit of revenge chip on Navy's shoulder this particular year. But the bottom line to me, guys, when it comes to military games and you have an underdog in a military football game that has the better record, these teams are 92-64 and 64 to the spread overall since 1980. That's 150 plays. They've gone 92-64. and 64. And better yet, if these football teams that are, have the dog with the better rest in these military games run the ball for 338 or more yards a game on the season and are playing with the week of rest, they're 12-1 and one to the spread going all the way back to 1980. They win nine of those 13 games straight up. I'm going to look for Army to win the Commander-in-Chief Trophy Award and move toward their goal of 10 wins this football season. I'll play Army plus the points, along with the under total in the game, as Victor mentioned, for my side in the football game. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I are going to tear apart our NFL Game of the Week. we got a beauty in the AFC Conference. That, and we'll also hop out to Las Vegas to find out what's going on in Vegas. Get the Vegas vibe from Andy Isco when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as an apple and g as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The Totals Tip Sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL Totals Guru, at Playbook.com. The Totals Tip Sheet has got you totally covered this football season. It's the best reference source of its kind in the nation. Get your Totals Tip Sheet today at Playbook.com and enjoy the winners. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King. We're going against the spread on this week's College and Pro Football Cards, and it's time for our NFL Game of the Week, a beauty inside the AFC Conference this week when the Pittsburgh Steelers play host of the Baltimore Ravens in a key AFC North Division battle. Victor, how do you see the Blackbirds and the Steelers Faring out this week. You know, it looks like it's going to be a under-under week for our college-slash-NFL games with the Ravens-Steelers. Just we're going to be going under the total. With that said, this is going to be a good week to hold off on making that wager, perhaps right up until kickoff. Of course, this is the Sunday night uh, NBC TV nationally televised game, and I say that because the line uh, continues to rise. This one opened at 41, and that was the opener right after the Monday night result, of course, when the Steelers played the um, Cincinnati Bengals, a game that uh, pushed on the over-under line at 43 points, with the final score being 23-20. to But again, it opened at 41, and as we speak, the line this morning, Wednesday morning when we record the podcast, was at 43 and a half. I'm even showing a couple of 44s right now. So this is a game where let's track the over-under line. Let's wait till it tops out before we make our move on the under. I got a feeling this game is going to get to 44 and a half, 45, maybe even 45 and a half on game day before we pounce and make our move on the under. A series which has gone one and four over-under in the last five meetings. The average line between these two teams, 45.2. Average score, 41.6. The average game has gone under by 3.6 points per game. On the season, the Ravens come in at 7-5 and five over under. They've gone 3-3 three and three at home, 43.8 points per game. Yes, they've gone 4-2 and two over under in their road games, but those games have only averaged 37.3 points per game. The Steelers, meanwhile, have been uh, one of the league's best under teams on the season. 
The defensive improvement from the Pittsburgh Steelers had been remarkable this season. Yes, 3-2 and two over under in their home games. The only team in the NFL that has yet to go over the total in their road games this season. We got Pittsburgh clocking in with the number seven offense. Good offensive numbers on the season. The Ravens, the number 30 offense in the NFL. So quite the uh, disparity between the two in regards to the offense. But one thing is not disparity. You do got two very good defenses in this game. Pittsburgh, number four overall defense, number five in scoring defense. They're only allowing 17.7 points per game. Meanwhile, Baltimore, number seven overall defense, number three in scoring defense. They're allowing only 17.2 points per game. We know when it comes to AFC North games, we always look to go under the total. In the last three seasons, AFC North division games have gone 9-22 and one over under, 71% under the total, including 3-13-1 when the over under line is greater than 42 points, and this one will certainly be above that uh, line there. We have the fact that both teams come in on multiple game-winning streaks, both playing well, especially the Pittsburgh Steelers with their seven-game winning streak. But Baltimore has won three games in a row as well. So I went into the database, and I queried games with teams on multiple winning streaks, and here's what we got. NFL games with both teams on a three-game or more winning streak have gone 1-10 and ten over under in the last four seasons when the over-under line is greater than 42 points. And this is also a good week of the season to go under the total when winning teams are facing each other. In fact, game 13 winning team matchups, if both teams are over 550 for the season, these games have gone 3-12 and 12 over under also in the last four seasons when the over-under line is less than 51 points. Uh, we got a game here in which we can bide our time and track the over-under line movement. I think this game gets up to 45 or 45 and a half. And at that point, we'll take full advantage of the value and go under the total in the Steel City on Sunday night in the Ravens-Steelers game. Victor's waiting. He's going under the total in the Baltimore-Pittsburgh showdown game Sunday night to make it a two-for-two under call on this week's podcast Baltimore Pittsburgh under the total from Victor King at King Creole Sports Baltimore Ravens coming into this football game playing some pretty good defense this football season here there's some people think that this is as good a defense as they've played since the days of Ray Lewis a couple of shutouts already in the bank for the Baltimore Ravens here they are 9-0 to the spread when playing with revenge in football games after scoring 40 or more points However, in the series alone, they struggled just covering three out of the last 19 games when they're coming up a straight-up and point-spread cover within this football series. They've gone 3-0 and since their bye week, the Baltimore Ravens, on a nice winning run. But look inside the stats of those efforts. They've been out-yarded in all three of those straight-up victories here. That's called winning games with smoke and mirrors. I think Baltimore, a bit of a fraud right now coming into this football game. The Pittsburgh Steelers, as you saw, rallied Monday night to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals here. They rallied from a 17 to nothing deficit in a hard-fought, typical Pittsburgh-Cincinnati battle Monday night here. Uh, they are Pittsburgh 7-1 and one straight up and 6-2 and two to the spread their last eight Sunday night football games. And when they've hosted a football team at home after battling Cincinnati and they're hosting a division game, in this scenario, Pittsburgh is 16-1 and straight up, 12-5 and to the spread. Bottom line to me here is you've got Pittsburgh here home in a division game off a division road game. That's an angle of situation that they've gone 15-1 and straight up and 13-3, and I should say, to the spread in games in which they've owned a winning record. I'm going to back the Pittsburgh Steelers for my side in this football game in this classic Sunday night football division battle between the Ravens and the Steelers. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, it's time to hop out to Las Vegas as we join with our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, all in all, how was your football week last week? Mark, it was a very good weekend, especially with all the excitement generated from those conference championship games and, of course, the controversy uh, that ensued as far as uh, Alabama against Ohio State. And, uh, of course, my opinion, for what it's worth, is that Ohio State 
did not deserve to be selected into the college football playoff for one very basic reason. If you are considered to be amongst the best football teams, amongst the best college football teams, you do not lose a game by 31 points under any circumstances but one. And that one circumstance would be as if you were playing the New England Patriots. Otherwise, there is no excuse for a 31-point loss for a quote-unquote one of the best teams in college football. If your offense isn't performing, your defense should be able to uh, keep you in that game. If your defense isn't performing, your offense should be able to. So there's the answer to the question about uh, this past football weekend. I was fortunate enough to get in early enough on Wisconsin to be able to get actually a half-point win at plus 6.5, but uh, there were not that many, very many entertaining games that could top what we saw in the uh, Central Florida game against Memphis. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it was seven college football conference championship games, as you mentioned here, and that uh, that football game with Memphis and UCF was an exciting, probably the most exciting, right on the heels of UCF beating South Florida the week before. So back-to-back really, really exciting football games by the Knights of Central Florida here as they head into the bowl games with the new head coach. And uh, talking about Alabama getting in, Ohio State not getting in, I think it, the bottom line is Victor and I discussed at the top of the show is that uh, Alabama does pass the eye test. Only one loss in the season here, and they much rather have uh, no two-loss teams in playing for the conference or, or for the football playoffs here. But, Andy, in your newsletter this week, and I think this is one of your great better newsletters of the year this year when you, when you when you elaborated on the need for changing the college football playoff format. And uh, your system here, your take on all of this, you mentioned the fact that uh, there are only 3.1% of the 130 football teams that are playing out there in FBS world these days, just a shade more than 3% of them make the college football playoffs, which is really rather limited to say the least. And uh, uh, I think it needs to be changed. Your thoughts, Andy, I know you talked about maybe going to a 16 team format. Uh, Elaborate with our listeners, if you will, a little bit about your take on what you think the college football playoffs should make a change toward. Well, first of all, first and foremost, if you've got five power conferences, by all means, the conference champion should be participating from each of the five conferences. Now, this year with two SEC teams, it means that two conferences are being left out, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. With all the money that is at stake, I would not be surprised, I should say, if uh, some of these conference commissioners start saying we need to renegotiate this contract because for a conference to be shut out in what is a huge money-making deal for college football seems to be a bit unfair and financially uh, somewhat irresponsible on the part of those conferences. But getting to the format of the play, actually what we have now, they call it a college football playoff. I call it a college football invitational. What it really is is nothing more than that off-floated concept back in the BCS days of the plus one, where the, the proposal was that after all the bowl games are played, you take the two most deserving teams and you have them meet in a... Uh, mythical, let's call it anyway, uh, what they would call a national championship game. Well, all that this college football uh, playoff is that we have right now is basically a plus one. The only difference is that we know the two teams are going to come from two specific games to play for that national championship. What I would like to see is all of the conferences that are at the uh, FBS level, and that includes the Sun Belt, the MAC, etc. If they qualify for inclusion as members of FCS, they should be entitled to participate in the playoff by sending their conference representative, usually the conference champion, to a playoff. Now, if that doesn't meet with the higher-ups in the NCAA, which I imagine it wouldn't, declassify them, make them move down to FCS or give them their own designation so they can have their own tournament at the end of the season. Uh, Perhaps they'd even want to work upon the model that the FCS uses. They have 24 teams. The top 12 teams get buys into the what they call the uh, first round, uh, actually the uh, quarterfinal, the uh, be the first round and then the other eight teams teams uh, seated 17 through 24 play usually thanksgiving weekend as was the case this year to determine the four teams that will advance to fill out the field of 16 so maybe they could do something like that with the uh, minor conferences the, the group of five or certainly four of the group of five to fill out a field of eight or perhaps even 16 but i certainly think at a minimum Eight teams need to be included so that each conference is represented. As far as who the conference wants to send, they could send their conference champion. They could send the regular season champion, however they want. But all five conferences need to be represented for it to at least to have the appearance of a, of a true playoff. 
I like that idea real well, Andy. I also like the idea of there being some optional uh, at-large berths uh, awarded here as well for these controversial teams, the Ohio States, if you will, the Wisconsin's, if you will, maybe even the Central Floridas, uh, you know, for, from the group of five type teams. Uh, but the the bottom line is an overhaul is needed. There's no question about that. And uh, hopefully what you, what you wrote in, and I highly encourage your listeners to get this week's newsletter, Andy's TheLogicalApproach.com newsletter this week online at TheLogicalApproach.com and read all about Andy's take on the college football playoff situation, the scene, and what it should be, what it could be. And uh, hopefully maybe it could become a little bit more like March Madness rather than uh, an invitational, as Andy says, uh, uh, rather than a college football playoff or an invitational that it is. Yes. I'm sorry? Yeah, no, more than Mark Madness, it's become a January joke. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good <laughs> a January joke that's a good name for it as well uh, in, uh, with the football games starting this year on New Year's Day anyway last year maybe not quite January they started December 31st and that joke of those playing those football games on New Year's Eve when uh, right. there were a limited audience to watch those football games but uh, all in all broadening this whole thing would I think make everybody happy it would also uh, put a lot more money in the coffers and the tills of all the schools and the universities as opposed to awarding it just to just these four prime football games or four prime football teams that we're going to see this particular week. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, I know it's winding, getting down to crunch time in the Westgate Super Book Contest as we're speaking here right now this week here. Uh, Victor and I talked at the opening of the show. It was the first time in a long, long time that the favorites have been dominated uh, overall in the National football league in fact the dogs barked a little bit for a slight profit last week how did that affect the overall outcome in the contest last week well i'll give you the results that we have uh, for uh, last week and year to date on the overall contest unfortunately as we do this podcast the westgate has not updated their website to include the standings after week 13 so i will be unable to give an accurate uh, assessment of that although my understanding is that the leader has a half game lead at 46 and a half out of uh, excuse me 45 and a half out of a possible 65 points with the uh, second place uh, contestant a half point behind but i've not been able to independently uh, confirm that but as far as last week so results uh, are concerned the consensus finally had a great week the consensus went 5 and 0 oh. they had winners with the patriots Uh, over the uh, Buffalo Bills and the Saints over the uh, Carolina Panthers. As far as favorites that comprise the consensus of the three underdogs that made the top five, uh, the Vikings uh, covering and winning outright against the Falcons, the Packers doing the same against Tampa Bay. When this contest line came out, the Bucks were actually one-and-a-half-point favorites. Of course, uh, the game closed with Green Bay, a three-point favorite, and as a result, the Packers were selected by 1,016 of the 2,748 contestants. So an overwhelming favorite uh, favorite as far as the consensus is concerned. The underdog Packers got the win, and the final one was Sunday night with Seattle upsetting the Philadelphia Eagles. So the consensus 5-0 and oh for the season. Uh, they are now 30-35, and 35, so they are trying to make a mark or make a, a run on improving that mark up to 500 with uh, still four weeks remaining. Overall, last week, the favorites, when the favorite team in the game was the choice of the consensus, 5-4 and four against the spread. That brings their record to a bit under 500 as well, improving slightly to 50, 56, and 3. Underdogs had a very strong week. The underdog was the more popular selection in seven of the 16 games, and six of those underdogs covered the spread for a 6-1 and one week, bringing 34-42-2, the current result for underdogs when they were the more popular play in the game. Pickums, there were none last week. Uh, the uh, consensus was correct, three out of four on those. There was one game that's uh, resulted in an even split. So after uh, last week in which the overall contestants for the 16 games were 11-5 and five against the spread for the year, still below 500, but 87-99-5 through the first 192 games, one of those games was not uh, included in this tally uh, because that was the game in which the uh, public was evenly split. Uh, good rundown from Andy Isco, 5-0 and for the consensus plays. Finally a good week by the consensus in the Westgate Superbook Contest last week, Andy. And before I hand it off to Victor with his question that he wants to run by you in the show, what about line adjustments that we've seen this week? Anything major or noteworthy from the sendouts last week as opposed to what we're looking at as we speak today? 
Uh, there are five that I think would be considered noteworthy that are unrelated to the posting or uh, either last week or this week of injury-affected games. But let's start with the Thursday night game, a key game in the NFC South between New Orleans at Atlanta. Prior to last week's games, the Atlanta Falcons were three-point home favorites over the uh, Saints. And, of course, Atlanta lost at home 14-9 to Minnesota in a defensively-oriented game, while New Orleans bounced back off of its loss at the Rams to beat up for a second time this year on Carolina, 31-21. to So when the Lions came out Sunday evening, rather than being a three-point home favorite, Atlanta was installed as a one-point home favorite. It didn't take very long for that game to move to the point where now New Orleans is a one-and-a-half-point road favorite Thursday night at Atlanta. The uh, game between Minnesota and Carolina. Last week, the Carolina Panthers were two-and-a-half-point home favorites over the Vikings with a slight uh, vig towards the under on that one at minus uh, – towards, yeah, towards the minus two-and-a-half on that minus 120. So sort of uh, getting a little bit close to uh, uh, three on that one. But when the uh, results of Sundays came in, I mentioned Carolina's loss to New Orleans and Minnesota's win at Atlanta. The Carolina Panthers were installed as one-point home favorites, down from two-and-a-half a week ago, and that line quickly moved to where Minnesota is now a two-and-a-half-point road favorite at Carolina for the game on Sunday. In the late games, the New York Jets at the Denver Broncos last week, despite their struggles and their lengthy losing streak, the Denver Broncos were a three-point home favorite against the New York Jets. Well, Denver went down to Miami and laid an egg. Meanwhile, the Jets had a very impressive win over Kansas City. When that game came up Sunday afternoon for this week, the game opened a pick and the money has come in on the New York Jets so that the adjustment has been further exaggerated to the point where the Jets are now a one-point road favorite at Denver. The big game of the day, or at least one of the big games of the day on a very attractive schedule, Philadelphia at the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, last week, Philadelphia was a three-point road favorite at the Rams before the, the uh, weekend's games were played. Of course, we saw uh, the action on Sunday afternoon with the Rams and then Sunday night with the uh, Eagles. Before the Eagles game went off at Seattle Sunday night, the Eagles were still favored, but only by two and a half. The game came off the board during the Sunday night game that saw Philadelphia lose at Seattle. As a result, Monday morning when the game was reposted, the game was a pick 'em, and the line has steadily moved up to the point where the Rams are now two-point home favorites over Philadelphia, a five-point adjustment from just a week ago. And the final game worth mentioning is the Sunday night game between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Last week, the Steelers were seven-and-a-half-point home favorites over the Baltimore Ravens. Now, on Sunday, of course, Baltimore had that impressive win over Detroit, maybe not as lopsided as the final score suggested because it was a little bit closer before Baltimore scored late, but still a 44-20 win over a playoff contending team as Detroit was impressive. Pittsburgh, of course, was not going to play until Monday night, so rather than 7.5, they made a minor adjustment, and Pittsburgh came up Sunday afternoon as 7-point home favorites over Baltimore. On Monday, the game was taken off the board pending the result of Pittsburgh at uh, Cincinnati. Uh, we saw Cincinnati put a game effort in. Pittsburgh rallied to win, but not a very impressive win. They didn't cover the point spread, which actually had moved down towards Cincinnati. So the betters were right on that one. Even at the lower number, the Cincinnati Bengals covered. That resulted in there being an adjustment so that rather than open seven on Tuesday morning, Pittsburgh opened six and a half. And that apparently is not low enough as, again, money has come in against the Pittsburgh Steelers to the extent that as we record this podcast, Pittsburgh is a five and a half point home favorite over Baltimore. Five and a half, usually that no man's land. But when it opens seven and goes down to five and a half, the public is expressing a clear opinion, at least as of midweek. That's a review of the line adjustments from the Westgate Superbook Contest from Andy Isco at TheLogicalApproach.com. In Las Vegas. And Victor, I know you got a question or two you want to run by Andy on the show this week as well. I sure do, Mark. First, uh, my comment uh, definitely, Andy's one of the better logical approach newsletters of the season. Of course, you can get it at his website or at playbooksuperstore.com. My comment is uh, I'm in total agreement, Andy. You make some great, great sense. A potential 16 team playoff, yeah, would play over a four consecutive week period. But if the NCAA has any uh, issues about missing school time, the fact that most colleges are on break for much of December and early January anyway, and of course it doesn't seem to bother them so much when a three-week basketball tournament takes place in the month of March, 
So really good stuff there in this week's Logical Approach newsletter. The two games I want to ask about in the NFL are the two games currently with no lines posted, no spreads, no over-unders, the Lions-Buccaneers game and the Colts-Bills game, both uh, early Sunday kickoffs. Uh, I'm assuming that has to do probably with the quarterback issues. Matt Stafford with his hand injury, Tyrod Taylor on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, was there a look-ahead line last week in these games, Xander? Or more importantly, what do you anticipate the lines might be in these games if both quarterbacks do start this week? Well, to the first point, uh, Detroit at Tampa Bay, there was actually no look-ahead line on this game last week because at that time there was some uh, possibility turned out to be uh, an actuality uh, as to whether or not Jameis Winston would return to quarterback for Tampa Bay in this game. As it turns out, he did, but there was no line on this game last week because of that uncertainty uh, from a, a week earlier when it was uh, thought that this would be the week that he would return. Last week, of course, being the week. Uh, and then, of course, as you mentioned, the injury to Matthew Stanford has kept this game off the board. I'll be interested to see what line does come up if Stafford does play uh, I believe Detroit will be a slight favorite. They still have remote playoff chances. Tampa Bay is out of the, uh, the playoff picture for this year. So given that we have four games left and there is that need for Detroit, wouldn't be surprised if Detroit opens the favorite, though it might be a little bit under a field goal. Maybe we'll make it about two and a half and we'll see if the public jumps it up to three or says, uh, no, Tampa Bay uh, is worth playing as a small home underdog with Winston in there. And again, I didn't think there was that much of an impact or a difference between between Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, giving Fitzpatrick's results uh, as a veteran quarterback. As to the Indianapolis-Buffalo game, prior to the injury to Tyrod Taylor last week, Buffalo was a seven-point home favorite over the Indianapolis Colts. Not quite sure exactly where his status is right now. Haven't really heard much as far as uh, leaning one way or the other, but I would imagine that if he does start, you'll still see Buffalo favored, but maybe by five and a half to six. There'll always be that little percentage built in there that he could be re-injured, and then there would be a drop-off to the uh, uh, to the uh, the back-off Peterman, who, of course, uh, showed what he had in his first start at San Diego with those five interceptions, although you would expect a little bit of a different effort, not necessarily five interceptions this week. So I think Buffalo will still be uh, a, a modest favorite, but not nearly as high as a seven-point favorite, even if uh, Taylor starts for the Bills. The what-ifs in the world of the National Football League. Victor, I'm sorry, did you have anything else you were going to run by Andy? No, thanks, Andy. Oh, okay. I was visiting it with Andy Isco, going over the possible quarterback scenarios and line movement or changes that we can anticipate this weekend. And Andy, before I let you go, on the heels of that big Seattle Seahawks winner last week. I know our listeners would love to know what you're looking at on the NFL card this week as well. Well, Mark, I think I may have mentioned it last week on the show, but I know I wrote about it when I made Seattle a play in the newsletter last week, and that is that I expected Philadelphia to split the two games on this West Coast road trip, playing at Seattle on that Sunday night and then following it up with a game in Los Angeles against the Rams. And the first part of this uh, uh, prediction has come to pass, as I thought it might, and now I'm expecting Philadelphia to get that win at, uh, at the Rams. This will be billed as the battle of the two number one draft choices, Garrett, uh, quarterbacks uh, Jared Goff of the Rams and Carson Wentz of Philadelphia from last year. And whereas Wentz got off to a, uh, a fine start and has continued to show improvement, Jared Goff struggled in his rookie year, uh, but he's made amends for that performance and has really performed well uh, this year to have the Rams in uh, contention not only for the playoffs, but also for a top one or two seed in the conference. But the spot uh, I like about Philadelphia, number one, travel and time will not be a factor in this game as the Eagles had announced prior to last week that they would be spending this week out here. And I think more and more teams, when they have to make those cross-country trips for consecutive week games, has started to implement that uh, uh, that decision to, uh, to stay out on either coast. Uh, it, it just seems to aid in the preparation, and I think it's been reflected in, in, in most of the results of teams taking that tact. Uh, but I like fundamentally what Philadelphia has done this year. Most of the attention has gone to the offense. And deservedly so. Their offense has been very, very consistent. One thing I do at this time of the year is I look back over how teams have performed, say, over the first part of the season and over the second part of the season. In other words, games 1 through 6 versus games 7 through 12. Philadelphia has some extraordinary numbers. One thing they've been in both halves of the year has been outstanding defensively against the run. 
They're allowing 68 yards per game to opposing rushes, uh, rushes. Uh, and it's been very consistent. In the first half of the season, they allowed 66 yards per game. In the second half of the season, it's been 70 yards per game. Very, very consistent. Where they've made significant strides have been in the passing game. In the past, in the game's first six games this year, Philadelphia was allowing an average of 274 yards per game. Nearly a 100-yard decline in their last six games, allowing just 177 yards per game. So that overall, their total defensive numbers, after allowing 340 yards in the first half, 247 yards in the second half. Under Jim Schwartz, they've made tremendous progress. And I think that that's not yet been reflected in a lot of the lines and especially a number of the totals. But I'm not going to go with the total in this game. I'm going to go with Philadelphia to get the outright upset as a very slight underdog. This game could have implications for the top seed because at 9-3, and three, the uh, Rams are now just one game behind Philadelphia. So Philadelphia could end up going in a period of two weeks from the number one seed to the number three seed. Last week's loss to Seattle, combined with Minnesota's win over uh, over Atlanta, gave Minnesota the tiebreaker uh, in that uh, in that. Uh, battle, but they're not going to be meeting head-to-head, the Eagles and the uh, and the Vikings. This one has much more significance. I like the overall makeup of the Philadelphia Eagles. They are just a bit more advanced in the progress they've made under their second-year quarterback than are the Rams, and I think that, combined with the defense, gives the Eagles solid edges. Andy goes full circle on his call of the Philadelphia Eagles in this road trip splitting out. He was right on the first leg of it last week when he called Seattle over the Eagles. He's coming back with the Eagles, plus the points against the Rams Sunday for his complimentary play on the show this week. Andy, once again, a great job as always. And once again, I want to encourage your listeners to go online at thelogicalapproach.com and get your hands on that copy of Andy's weekly football newsletter. You'll be glad you did. Until next week, Andy, as always, once again, a great job on the show and have a good week this week. I hope the ball bounces your way as well. And uh, same wishes back to you, Mark and Victor. Have a great weekend. Let's enjoy the football and anticipate the start of the College Bowl season. That was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we'll put the final wraps on the show. We'll share with you our complimentary plays and my awesome angle of the week when we're back with the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Have your morning coffee with Mark Lawrence each day when you join his all-new coffee club. Delivered in your email box the very first thing every morning, Mark shares with you his first take on the daily sports scene, ranging from top situational plays to handicapping tips and commentary from fellow coffee club members. It's a quick must-read for the serious sports fan. Join the coffee club today at playbook.com and have your morning coffee with Mark each and every day. You'll be glad you did. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as in Apple and G as in games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. From the hot South Florida sun, it's Mark Lawrence with his awesome angle of the week. All right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week in the NFL this week is called Darlin Be Home Soon. If it sounds familiar, it should. It's from our black book, our best of our black books. And black book, awesome angle. We call it Darlin Be Home Soon. And what it tells us to do is to play against any NFL road favorite from game 11 on out if they're on three consecutive home games. Now they're on the road after three consecutive home games, and they're taking on an opponent that's off a winning cover their last game. And that opponent owns a sub-690 win percentage. By fading these road favorites from Game 11 on out off three straight home games, and the Suats win their last game against these sub-690 opponents, these plays have gone 22-4 and against the spread. The guy who will be on the road this week after making a living at home will be the Dallas Cowboys. We'll fade them in this 22-4, and 85% play against Engel, 
for our awesome angle play on the show this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports for his complimentary play on the show this week. And Victor, if you would, let our listeners know what you've got on tap going this weekend. Sure will. If you uh, if you like newsletters, hey, we got you covered. That is for sure. You know, one week from now, we're going to have not three, not four, but five different playbook newsletters available. Of course, we're already talking about our mainstay, the playbook newsletter, which right now is in the transition phase of becoming a football slash basketball publication and not just the midweek alert. But the Playbook Bowl stat report will be out next week. Required reading for all bowl players. Let's not forget we've made a nice splash with our Playbook NBA totals today. One-page spreadsheet. If you like playing NBA over-unders, we got it all for you on one page. And again, it's available at playbook.com on the online store. You can get on board for a month of the totals today. Delivered to your email every day except Thursdays for $40 a month or 119 for the entire season. And, of course, we've got our NFL playbook totals tip sheet. We're off a winning week last week. One of those selections was that easy winner when we went against the grain and said go over the total in the Baltimore Ravens-Detroit Lions game, a game in which 64 total points were scored. And, in fact, in this week's issue, you, you want to take a look at it because we explain the situation in the NFL that over the last 12 months – has resulted in 20 overs, one under, and one tie. And there are multiple games this week that apply in this uh, simply overwhelming situation. I won't let the cat out of the bag. We won't mention any of the plays. We'll let you do that when you download this week's issue of the Totals Tip Sheet. One of those plays will be our four-star over of the week from our King service, in which we'll have up on the website by Friday night. But our free play of the week in the NFL, and we're going to make it an under, under, under week, and we're going under the total in the Monday night game right down here in our South Florida backyard with the Patriots taking on the Dolphins. The over-under line has gone down. I'm not surprised. It opened at 48.5. It's down to 47 as we speak. Uh, I do understand that we're going to be bucking a serious history, which has seen the Pats and the Dolphins go 3-0 and to the over in the last three meetings, including just two shorts weeks ago in Foxborough. But at last look, the Patriots were laying a ton of points on the road in this game, just like they did in the division road last week against Buffalo, in which we used the under in that game as a winning selection. Of course, you saw the final score there was 23-3. to But there's no way that I'm going to be fading numbers like these out of the database. In the NFL, when you see a situation in which the road team is favored by eight or more points, you always go under the total. These games have gone four and 31 over under in the last six years. And in the last four years, again, NFL road favorites of eight or more have gone one and 20, one over 20 unders. When the over under line is in the range of greater than 37 and less than 54 points like this one, heck in this season alone, Division road favorites of more than a field goal have already gone one ten and one over under. Now we got this uh, situation for New England in which they're in the a current three road game in a row stretch since two thousand and nine. NFL teams in the second of three straight road games, if they won the previous game, like the Patriots, have gone one and eleven over under. Again, since 2009, when the over-under line is less than 51 points. Of course, for the host Dolphins, uh, they finally got off the schneid last week. And I certainly acknowledge that you might be a little gun-shy because they scored 35 points in that home win against the Broncos. However, with that said, NFL underdogs of greater than three points off a home dog win in which they scored 35 or more have gone a perfect 0-7 over-under in the last two years. Like our Ravens-Steelers play on Sunday night, we're going under the total on Monday night. Patriots-Dolphins, and you probably want to get it in pretty soon. I can see the line going from the current number of 47 down to maybe 46, 45 and a half, 45. Either way, our play is already locked in. Patriots-Dolphins under the total. And don't forget our four-star over of the week in the NFL, and that'll be up on the website on Friday evening. Victor King goes under the total in the New England-Miami Monday Night Football game for his complimentary play on the show this week. 
And if you haven't done so yet, check out the NBA totals today, available every day except Thursdays online at playbook.com. Sign up for your low-cost subscription today for your NBA daily totals today selections. Before I get to my complimentary play, I want to remind our listeners once again that our friends at mybookie.ag are offering up to a 50% sign-up bonus, up to $1,000. When you open up your account today at mybookie.ag, just in time for the college football bowl games and the NFL playoffs right around the corner as well. To do so, simply log on at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code PLAYBOOK or call them toll-free. The number is 1-844-866-BETS. That's 1-844-866-2387 to get your 50% sign-up bonus at mybookie.ag this weekend. Before I get to my complimentary play, I want to remind our listeners that my fan appreciation goes this weekend. It's a $50 weekend of winners from our late phone football service, including our NFL False Favorite Play of the Year. This False Favorite Play has won eight of the last ten years. It's part of our $50 half-price fan appreciation weekend this weekend. To take advantage, log on at now at playbook.com or call me toll-free at 1-800-321-7777 for the half-price fan appreciation $50 weekend of winners. You're going to be glad you did. My complimentary play on the show this week as we sign off is directly from our playbook football newsletter this week. It's our upset special of the week. We're going to play the New York Giants plus the points against the Dallas Cowboys with the Giants situation now being a little bit more even with Ben McAdoo out as a head coach. There's Steve Spagnuolo taking over for them. He's their defensive coordinator. And Spagnuolo, by the way, in his career as a head coach in the National Football League, he was 11-4 and of the spread when he took on 500 or less opponents that were coming off a loss. Eli Manning is back behind center in this football game, guys, and that makes all the play in this game that we want. Eli Manning, I think these players are going to play really hard for him being back behind center and that goof-off mistake that McAdoo made in switching out to Geno Smith last week, the bonehead play move of the year by a coach in the National Football League this year. Remember this, Eli Manning in the month of December, when the Giants are off back-to-back losses in his career, He's gone 13-2-1 to the spread, including 13-0-1 in the last 14 games. Play Eli Manning, the Giants, plus the points against Dallas for our complimentary play on the show this week. That's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host, Victor King, from King Creole Sports for a great job on the show. Our good friend, Andy Isco, from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And our good friend, Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above. Until next week. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.